when you're looking for the bank robber, you know, you, you got to look around the bank. Yeah, but what if the bank robber is the bank president? Just a thought. I don't know. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Oh, that's why. I got the feeling that something right. Someone's getting robbed. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers uh, to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast to 106.7 Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI, in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui, in Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York, on 102.9 FM WLPP. In Bellingham, Washington, on KZAX 94.9 FM. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul, on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're also streaming coast-to-coast coast and around the globe on the intertubes on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, blanketing planet Earth each and every weekday. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. For another thrilling action-packed adventure that we call The Bradcast. Well, Green Party candidate Jill Stein had a press conference call this morning to discuss lessons learned and future plans from the uh, attempted presidential election result recounts. And that word, yes, is still in air quotes when it comes to the word recounts because they weren't counted in the first place and... They weren't counted again, for the most part, in all three states. I'll have details on that in a moment. Also coming up today, Desi Doyen returns with the Green News Report. Hi, Des. Hello. It's a doozy. It is a doozy. Lots Whee! plenty to cover today, including uh, Donald Trump tapping the head of ExxonMobil as Secretary of State. His potential Interior Department uh, chief wants to sell off public lands. And we've also learned today that former Texas governor, uh, what's his name again? Oh, uh, what is that name? Oops, that's right. Rick Perry uh, is being nominated by Donald Trump to head the Department of Energy, the, uh, the very federal agency that he had vowed, at least when he could remember its name, to do away with back in 2012 when he ran for president. That announcement comes on the heels of what I regard as a really chilling request sent to the Department of Energy uh, by the Trump transition team, asking them to identify scientists uh, working there on climate change issues in a McCarthy-esque moment. And that's really the only description I can I have for it here, a McCarthy-esque moment that ought to be a wake-up call for every American. If they are not woken up already, we will talk shortly with a former Department of Energy assistant secretary of energy about all of that, what it means and more. 
Uh, but first, uh, a couple of uh, quick items here. Uh, Donald Trump has canceled his press conference that he uh, is said would happen this week to address his conflict of interest issues concerning his his businesses. Bloomberg News reported late on Monday that uh, the announcement about what he planned to do about his businesses, he, he said he was going to let them all go. He was going to put them in a blind trust during the during the actual campaign. And then he said just a week or so ago that he would announce his plans to get completely out of his business. Well, those plans are now uh, on hold, uh, at least until next January, until next month, after the Electoral College meets, it should be noted, uh, to cast its votes for president next Monday. Maybe that's a smart idea for Donald Trump to put this off. Uh, the uh, Trump transition team told um, th- their officials uh, told Bloomberg that the press conference was being nixed because Trump needed more time due to the attention he has had to give to filling his cabinet. Well, maybe if he had fewer victory rallies instead, maybe he could be working at that point on filling his cabinet. I don't know. He had time to meet with Kanye West, apparently. Yeah, uh, he has time, you would think, for a press conference. He has not had one since July. Remember, this was back when he had asked Russia to hack Hillary Clinton's emails. That was the last press conference, the last time that he actually answered uh, questions In a press conference from the media, in a series of tweets on Monday night, Trump said he would make uh, no new business deals during his time in the White House. And he promised that he would hold a press conference, quote, in the near future to discuss the business, cabinet picks and all other topics of interest. Busy times, he said in his tweet. Uh, Okay, Uh, I think that's just uh, kind of remarkable. And um, but, you know, maybe this uh, maybe it's a good idea. Do it after the Electoral College meets. And frankly, uh, you know, he is going into his uh, term as president if, in fact, he does uh, as with one of the lowest approval ratings of, well, at least recent times, a month after Donald Trump's election as president. The public views his transition to the White House less positively than those of past presidents elect, according to the Pew survey. Uh, Americans say that uh, his uh, his approval has increased, has improved since Election Day. But about as many Americans say Trump will be a poor or terrible president as they think he will be a good or great one. Right now, Pew finds that just 40 percent, 40 percent of Trump's Cabinet choices have been approved by the American people as far as uh, his his cabinet choices and his high level appointments. And only 41 percent approve of the job that he has done so far in explaining his policies and plans for the future. That's not even close to recent presidents who generally after Election Day, America tends to rally around whoever was elected. Um, George Bush Sr. had a 65 percent approval for his policies and plans around uh, this time. Uh, Bill Clinton had 62 percent approval for his policies and plans. Even George W. Bush had 50 percent approval. Barack Obama had 72 percent approval. Donald Trump only has 41 percent approval for the way he has explained his policies and his plans. Uh, And as far as his cabinet choices, again, Bush Sr., 59 percent. Clinton, 64 percent. Bush, uh, w, George W. Bush, 58 percent. Obama, 71 percent. But Donald Trump, just 40 percent. 
percent approval. Kind of amazing. All right. Um, very quickly here, Jill Stein. The Green Party candidate for president, she conceded today that her three-state vote recount drive was, quote, stopped in its tracks by Trump and Republican opposition in courtrooms in Michigan and in Pennsylvania. She said, however, the effort illuminated enormous problems in our national election system and the and the need to shore up the security of balloting and oversight nationwide. She said the bureaucratic hurdles, financial extortion, and legal maneuvering stymied her efforts to force election recounts in all three of the states where she tried, including Wisconsin, along with Michigan and Pennsylvania. Wisconsin concluded its version of a statewide count, uh, count yesterday, she said, while the count may have stopped, the movement for a voting system we can trust has been enormously energized, Stein told reporters on this conference call this morning. Um, I should note here, we don't need a voting system we can trust. We need a voting system that we can oversee. Our system is not built on trust. It's built on checks, balances, oversight. Uh, Stein and several advisors on the call said that a tangle of laws and regulatory obstacles in Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania made it far too difficult to verify the integrity of the vote count. Stein's attorney, Jonathan Abadie, said the recount exposed barriers and obstacles to voting that should now be addressed. And uh, he said that Stein plans to pursue a lawsuit that she filed in federal court in Pennsylvania challenging the state's election system, which he called Byzantine and unworkable. Obviously, it is unlikely to uh, be in time to change the results of the Electoral uh, College. But uh, Abadie. Uh, was asked whether he was satisfied with the statewide count in Wisconsin, which certified its so-called recount results yesterday. As I said, with uh, with little change for either Trump or Clinton, uh, they both picked up more than 500 votes each net, uh, but few changes to the overall initial tally. But Wisconsin was uh, the only state of the three where Stein challenged to actually do some kind of tally of all ballots statewide. Unfortunately, as Abadie notes, and as we have as well, thanks to a change in the recount law by Republicans last year, most of the state's counties did not have humans verify the results in the recount. They just ran the same paper ballots through the computer scanners again which counted them either correctly or incorrectly. Who knows? Nobody knows because we're not allowed to examine the actual papers. Uh, but that's what happened, and Abadie talked about that today on the conference call. We are not satisfied with the recount in Wisconsin, and we're not satisfied because the review was not thorough and complete. It's very clear that the gold standard, the most accurate method for checking uh, the, the accuracy of the vote involves hand counting where there's paper, paper balloting and machine review, forensic review, where machines are responsible. And so we think we're advocating what should be a fairly uncontroversial proposition. In something as important as the election of the President of the United States, we should be certain that the vote in this new age of newly emerging technology is accurate. And it seems to be, it should be, um, not a matter of debate or argument that we want the most thorough uh, check and balance on that process as possible. We didn't get it in Wisconsin. We got something, but it wasn't complete. 
That was uh, Jill Stein's uh, recount attorney, Jonathan Abadie, and apparently it is a, a matter of debate whether anyone is allowed to count the ballots in a presidential election. It shouldn't be a controversial, but apparently it is. Jill Stein talked about the fact that uh, millions needed to be raised to even try to count anything in these uh, three states. Uh, in Wisconsin, for example, the campaign was told that they would need to pay some $1 million to count ballots statewide, only to be told, oh, we were wrong. It's actually three and a half million that needed to be raised. Uh, Stein was also critical about the fact that Wisconsin's largest counties and, and most of the urban areas there were the ones that did not count by hand. And in Michigan, where more than half of the ballots in Detroit alone, uh, hundreds of thousands in a race decided by just 10,000 votes, uh, more than half of those uh, ballots were deemed completely unrecountable thanks to broken optical scan systems, bad bookkeeping procedures, and the state's arcane recount statutes banning the hand count of ballots if the number of ballots mismatches the poll book numbers by even one single vote for any reason. The community that the U.S. Civil Rights Commission has said are at gravest risk are the very communities that were not uh, recounted adequately and properly through a hand recount of the paper ballot. That underscores why that's where you want to look. This was essentially a recount that looked everywhere except uh, in, in the areas of greatest risk. 87 machines failed in, uh, in Detroit itself and that where the recount took place, there were all kinds of problems that were unveiled. And in fact, Michigan is moving forward now as a result of the recount with a specific audit in uh, many of those uh, communities very much at risk. So I think there's enormous evidence that, uh, you know, that, that when you're looking for the bank robber, you know, you, you got to look around the bank. And that was what was avoided, unfortunately, <coughs> Uh, in the Wisconsin recount. Also on the call was uh, Philip Stark, a UC Berkeley professor, dean and, uh, uh, and director of several mathematics and statistical computing programs and research institutes. He serves on the editorial board of the Journal of Election Technology and Systems, has consulted with numerous federal agencies and congressional committees on voting systems and election processes. Uh, he spoke about how simple it would be for computer geeks to target the 100% unverifiable touchscreen systems used across much of the state of Pennsylvania, where a federal judge yesterday rejected Stein's attempt to examine the otherwise unverifiable voting systems with a forensic audit by computer scientists and security experts. The computer security geeks who are also working on election integrity wanted to hack the election we would do it by hacking the paperless voting machines uh, such as they have in Pennsylvania. Um, then it could be done essentially without leaving any evidence whatsoever that there was a problem. Only in places where we have paper and are able to do uh, an audit against the paper or a, a recount or full hand count can we generate evidence that the electronic uh, you know, counting misbehaved in some way. Um, and unfortunately, there's still about 25% of the country that votes using equipment that doesn't generate a durable, voter-verifiable paper record of how they voted. And those votes, in some sense, are up for grabs by hackers. Up for grabs. Uh, it is outrageous, and it is not enough, as I said earlier, uh, for election officials to simply say, trust us, we followed the procedures. 
No, we need evidence-based elections overseeable by the public, which uh, Phil Stark also spoke to on that call today. Computers will never do a perfect job of ascertaining voter intent from ballots. Even if local jurisdictions ran elections flawlessly, it shouldn't be enough for a local election official to say, candidate X won, just trust me. What we need are evidence-based elections, not procedure-based elections. Local elections officials should be required to give strong evidence that the answer that they're presenting is correct, not just say we followed the rules. There's an idea. The people who are counting the vote need to give the evidence that they counted accurately. So while we know that Hillary Clinton appears to have won the national popular vote by almost three million votes over Donald Trump, at least according to the reported numbers, we may never actually know who actually won enough votes to determine an electoral college victory, presuming, of course, the electors actually do vote as expected next week. Is another uh, unlikely surprise in store there? Don't know. We'll see. Uh, For now, though, we have another big new question on the table. Does former Texas Governor Rick Perry, who's now been tapped to head the Department of Energy, have any clue what the Department of Energy actually does? And will it go along with a purge of climate scientists at the federal agency, as suggested by a chilling memo recently sent to the department. I'll discuss that question and much more with a former top official at the Department of Energy next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. The third agency of government, yeah. I would I would do away with the education, uh, the uh, <laughs> commerce. I, I, commerce, and let's see. Oh I can't. The third. Sorry. <laughs> Oops. Oops. Yep. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Funny thing, that third federal agency that uh, then-Texas Governor Rick Perry was promising to do away with while running for president in 2012, but he couldn't remember its name uh, during that uh, GOP presidential primary, that department that he couldn't remember was the U.S. Department of Energy. But now uh, Donald Trump is announcing that Rick Perry will be heading up the Department of Energy. Yes, the same one that he was promising, at least when he could remember its name, that he wanted to do away with. That, as climate science denier and fossil fuel industry tool and Oklahoma Attorney General Scott Pruitt, uh, who has challenged the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency's mandate to enforce federal laws requiring clean air and water for years, as he has been named by Trump to head the EPA, the very federal agency he has sued for years. And, as we also learned today... The longtime CEO of ExxonMobil, the world's largest oil company, will be tapped as Secretary of State despite any government or diplomatic experience whatsoever. 
But in what could be a more ominous sign, frankly, than any of that for the incoming Trump administration, late last week uh, it was reported that his transition team had sent a memo to the U.S. Department of Energy seeking the names and professional associations of scientists and other employees at the agency who have worked on climate change issues or attended U.N. climate conferences or have worked on the so-called social cost of carbon measurements now used to determine the real cost of infrastructure projects. And even those folks who have been involved in the development of renewable energy breakthroughs and business innovations. In other words, Many are comparing the uh, Trump team's questionnaire now to the witch hunt for communists in the federal government in the 1950s. The question for DOE employees now seems to be, are you now or have you ever been a climate scientist? The news is chilling to say the least, at least to me. We'll see if my guest today agrees. He knows the U.S. Department of Energy very well. Joe Rome is a fellow with American Progress and the editor of Climate Progress, but he is also, or was also, Assistant Acting Secretary of Energy for Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy at the Department of Energy in the 1990s. During the Bill Clinton administration, he holds a Ph.D. in physics from MIT. He was described by Time magazine as a hero of the environment and the web's most influential climate change blogger in 2010. He's also the author of many books, including his newest, Climate Change, What Everyone Needs to Know. So, in other words, he's totally unqualified to be a member of the Trump administration. Dr. Joe Rome, it's been too long, so welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Uh, thanks for having me. All right, Joe, uh, since you used to actually work there, and as Rick Perry couldn't even remember its name, and by the way, Sarah Palin, who once said she'd like to head up the Department of Energy, uh, she thinks uh, it, it was it, it runs oil and gas drilling and that she's <laughs> familiar with that. What does the U.S. Department of Energy actually do and not do? Because there seems to be a lot of confusion about that, even from the folks who'd like to run it and, and or kill it entirely. Yeah, the Department of Energy, I did work there for five years, uh, 1993 to 1998, uh, I was special assistant to the deputy secretary for two years, so I did get an overview of the whole department, and then I spent three years in the Office of Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy, which helped develop all of those technologies that are now exploding in the marketplace, solar and wind and batteries and electric cars and LED bulbs. Exploding, you got to clarify, Joe, exploding in a good way, not the way the pipelines and the uh, oil wells and everything else are exploding, right? Uh, indeed, indeed. Yes. Um, so, yeah, the Department of Energy is a very poorly understood agency, which has often been the dumping grounds for uh, uh, sec- you know people who are not highly qualified to do anything. I think we there was once a dentist appointed Secretary of Energy. Wow. Um, so uh, it doesn't mostly do energy. And the energy that it does do, it, it doesn't actually have, like, a lot of control over U.S. energy policy. So it is, it is a difficult, like many federal agencies, it is a mishmash, uh, a collection of many different things. It has all of the weapons production facilities, mm-hmm. uh, 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 and 
that includes all of the national labs which do the designing, and then there used to be all these manufacturing. We don't really do uh, manufacturing anymore, so, but they're all toxic messes. Mm -hmm. So one of the biggest programs, uh, bigger than the energy program, is the cleanup of Hanford, uh, Savannah River, Rocky Flats, these would be known to people who are students of World War II. Mm -hmm. These are the things that, that the Manhattan Project gave us as the, the nuclear bomb-creating machinery that, 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 uh, that gave us the largest you know, nuclear uh, uh, military power in the world. They all were done secretively, not, not with a lot of leaking and dumping of radioactive materials. So they are a multi-decade nightmare to clean up and no secretary you know it's a very hard thing to oversee as you can imagine if you were in the community of one of these places you would want it to be made really really clean right uh but there's never enough money to you know be perfectly clean so it's an endless series um of compromises so you have the weapons cleanup you have the 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 weapons lab you have the all the national labs uh, which do energy and all sorts of work including most of the nation's physics labs like fermi lab or the stanford linear accelerator so it's very exciting when i was there because i had a phd physics from mit so you know it, it, the the Department of energy i believe has the highest ratio of phd's per employee of any of the agencies because it's doing all of this physics and 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 energy research and weapons research and and uh, so it's a good thing that Rick Perry got those glasses that made him smart. <laughs> made him smart, exactly. So he can help oversee the nation's nuclear arsenal uh, and and nuclear plants better. Uh, during the Obama administration, the Department of Energy was run by two men, both physicists like yourself. Yeah. Uh, I think at least one of them was a Nobel la Nobel laureate, uh, but they were nuclear. Even two was a Nobel Prize winner in physics. Yes. Yeah. So now we've got Governor Rick Perry. No science experience whatsoever. He'll head up this federal agency that you just described, this rather huge and, and complicated, a lot of uh, lab national laboratories, obviously important uh, things to deal with. Should it be a cause for alarm in and of itself that the guy heading it uh, has no science experience whatsoever? Well, I think his overall... Uh, resume is going to be a cause of concern because he's also a climate science denier. Mm -hmm. And the department does a lot of climate science research at the national labs. Often when you read a study about climate science, you might have noticed it's from Sandia or Livermore or Lawrence Berkeley Labs or, or Oak Ridge National Lab, mm -hmm. uh, you know, or any of a number of other ones. So uh, yes, uh, anybody, you know, President-elect uh, President Trump campaigned on, you know, gutting all climate research and, frankly, uh, all clean energy research. So, yes, I think people should be, should be very worried. The, there is, you know, about 20, 25 percent of the budget actually goes to energy. But, but again, it's mostly R&D. Uh, you, know, you know, he may be the world's greatest expert on drilling, but, you know, that's what the Department of Interior does. Mm -hmm. uh, and as for the regulation of the energy sector, 
that's mostly what the EPA does. Uh, the Department of Energy is, as I said, it's a technology agency. It, most of its budget in energy, uh, you, you know, the overwhelming majority goes to research and development for efficient technologies, renewable technologies, oil, gas, and and advanced nuclear. And so, the, you know, it's funny because people are always blaming or calling on the Secretary of Energy when something goes wrong in the energy arena, like there's an oil crisis or something like that. But there's almost nothing you can do. The only little thing the energy we do, the Environment of Energy does control the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, uh, which was a reserve created during the oil embargo of the 1970s hmm. so that we couldn't, right. uh, you know, it couldn't happen again. We'd have a, a strategic reserve of, of a couple months of, of oil use. But, but uh, like I said, it's, it's, Rick Perry is going to be, if he doesn't know much about the Department of Energy, and I suspect he doesn't, he's going to find that it's not, it's not very much a fun job for the kind of person he is. Uh -huh. You know, like I said, if you're a physics and a technology geek, uh, and, you know, I, I knew Ernie Moniz very well. I was actually, uh, took a physics class a very long time ago at MIT from Ernie Moniz. And the, I, the current, I, the current uh, head of the Department of Energy. Under current Obama, head, right? and, and, yeah. and, and I worked with him during the Clinton administration when he was at both uh, the Office of Science and Technology Policy uh -huh. and uh, DO, Department of Energy Undersecretary. So, you know, it's, it's a sprawling, uh, because of the national labs, uh, people, sh you know, as he will come to learn, one of the fun things about the Department of Energy is that the national lab staffs aren't federal employees. Right. Those labs are contracted out to places like the University of California. Right. And they are contractors to the University of California, and so you can't just fire them. Mm. And, you know, if... if uh, and, of course, the national people have great respect for the national labs. So, you know, every time someone says, oh, we should shut down the national labs, many people, you know, consider them to be one of the unique crown jewels of the United States that other countries don't have, which is places where hundreds and hundreds of engineers and scientists work on issues like improving solar or wind, or, you know, they worked for a long time on the technology behind fracking. Uh, you know, whether you like it or not, the, right. the, the discovery of har the horizontal drilling, the mm -hmm. using 3D seismic in order to figure out, map out uh, the earth, all these things are things the labs did. And of course, the labs have, you know, worked on advancing electric batteries and advanced nuclear plants and all sorts of other technologies. Well, so, um, you know, they're not your waste, fraud and abuse. Well, no, they're not. But and 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 the Trump team, Rick Perry, uh, as it's uh, not now, I guess, nominated head, may not know much about what the Department of Energy does, but they seem to know enough that they were able to send this chilling questionnaire asking, uh, you know, to identify the background of climate scientists. Essentially, as I said, are you now or have you ever been a climate scientist? This seems to be suggesting that Trump. Uh, is planning a purge of sorts of the DOE, at least where he can. Is, is that missive by uh, Team Trump as chilling to you as it was to me when I first uh, when I first heard about it last week? It's, it is very chilling. Um, you know, it was a questionnaire, many, many questions, and, and not, by the way, just climate scientists, mm -hmm. but there's a question on 
did people work on uh, the interagency climate effort? And could you please identify those people? And did people work on integrated assessment models, which is to say the economists who were trying to analyze what climate action would cause, uh, would cost? And, you know, maybe people, your listeners aren't, you know, experts in the federal government. We, in, in theory, we elect people to do that. But in this case, we've elected people who don't know anything about it and are doing outrageous things. So, you know, everyone's going to have to learn. We, like many countries, have a civil service. So there's uh, overseeing the civil service are the political appointees. When I went to the Department of Energy, even though I had a Ph.D. in physics, I was a civil, I, I was, excuse me, I was a political appointee mm-hmm. appointed by the Clinton administration. Uh, sometimes political appointees have, you know, the qualifications like I did and, and like, you know, Ernie Moniz and, and Stephen Chu. And sometimes they're just favors for people who worked on the campaign or raised money. And, uh, but the point is, uh, underneath them is a body of people who stays there throughout every administration right. to provide technical expertise and competency so that we don't end up in a world like Tammany Hall, where literally every job that, that the government has is given as a favorite, you know, favoritism to some crony. And, and that's but, what, but, that, that's, yeah. those are the folks who they seem to be targeting, those career people. In other words, the, the political appointees, those are expected to turn over when a new administration comes in. But they seem to be targeting the folks who work there all the time, year in, year out, no matter who the administration is uh, w- with this uh, with this questionnaire, which, as I understand, the Department of Energy has now responded uh, to say we will be uh, forthcoming with all publicly available information with the transition team. We will not, however, be providing any individual names to the transition team. So these, they seem to be saying, no, we're not going to play along with this, at least according to an Energy Department spokesperson. But that spokesperson is a political appointee uh, themselves, no? Well, you know, in the press office, there's the, you know, as you say, there's the, the political appointees above and then the general people who write the press releases and are familiar with the programs and can write up, you know, news releases. Uh, those are the civil servants. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was incredibly obvious the Department of Energy was not going to name names like this is some sort of McCarthy-era witch hunt, uh-huh. um, which is what makes the questionnaire even more brave. It's either really stupid if they thought that someone was actually going to name names, or it's just very brazen intimidation to say, we don't care what you do with this questionnaire. We want you to know that we're coming in and we're going to run this witch hunt one way or another. Because after all, once you're, you know, on January 21st, you're going to be able to go through all of the, you know, Department of Energy memos and stuff, Mm -hmm. the interagency memos. These are not things that get destroyed. And if you want to waste weeks and weeks pouring through those documents to figure out who was actually in favor, you know, who who, who seemed enthusiastic in helping do analysis on climate policy and who who wasn't so enthusiastic. So we're going to round up the people who were enthusiastic about Obama policies and fire them. And or and since you can't fire people. The point of the civil service, the reason why every country has them, is specifically to avoid this very thing. 
Um, Trump, now, you know, he has a Republican Senate and House who could, in theory, change the civil service rules. Um, now, you know, it is also well known, of course, you can, you can make life miserable for civil service people by simply giving them nothing to do or giving right. them something terrible to do or basically saying your only available job is, you know, going, is in Alaska, well, you know, studying, but, you know, working on the Arctic National Wildlife Reserve or something like that. But, so but, so um, what would be the purpose of that? I mean, it, it, you know, at least the Bush administration was, was, was quiet in their various uh, purges of federal agencies. They sort of did it under the radar. What's the idea here of... Of saying this out loud in this questionnaire, you you say they're either stupid uh, to do it or s- something else. Are they just trying to send a signal? Uh, what what? It's could... entirely possible uh, that that you know you never know on the transition who is responsible for a document like this. As you know, yeah. the transition is filled with some of the most famous climate science deniers in the in the country, yeah. uh, or famous in in the small world of. Of, yeah. of climate science and now people who have, you know, come up with millions of different mischievous strategies, like trying to get the the uh, you know suing climate scientists, mm-hmm. trying to get the emails published of climate scientists yeah. and all that. So someone thought this was a clever idea, um, and uh, you know, I think that uh, look, people should be worried because this is this is certainly unprecedented. I was not aware. Uh, that the, uh, the George W. Bush administration did this. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the, uh, I can tell you that the, you know, the person who ran the Office of Efficiency and Renewables during the, the George W. Bush administration was eminently qualified and did some good things. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously they weren't, you know, re- renewables and efficiency wasn't their thing, but it's not like they were actively trying to weed out someone who actually thought solar energy was a good thing and was qualified to oversee a program on some R&D aspect of solar. It would be nutty to do that. Well, we are are in a whole new world now, I would say, uh, both politically and in truth, actually. We've come just out of the the warmest November recorded in world history. You've been writing about this uh, at uh, Climate Progress. Uh, we're we're at near the end of what is now likely to be the third year in a row, I believe, of the hottest yep. uh, global temperatures ever recorded since record keeping began. We've got record low sea ice at both the Arctic and the Antarctic at the same time. That's freaking out a lot of climate scientists, understandably. And at the same time now, Donald Trump is naming Rex Tillerson, the head of ExxonMobil, yep. uh, who uh, you described as an utterly unqualified uh, Pollutocrat. I love that. Well done, Joe. Uh, he's now uh, going to be uh, the Secretary of State after being the head of the largest oil and gas company in the world, and I think almost the world's largest company, period. Well, uh, Donald Trump calls him a, a, a world-class player, as if we need to have a world-class player to open the door to a Secretary of State in the U.S. Otherwise, you know, who would talk to him? But why, why specifically do you find it uh, uh, troubling that the chair of uh, ExxonMobil is now going to be the Secretary of State? Well, I wrote a I wrote a long post on that Sunday as I had look, when I looked into it. You know, there's the climate stuff which I'll get to, which is quite scary. But you know, the 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 most worrisome thing really is this Russia connection. So Exxon Mobil 
uh, like many oil companies, had been having trouble finding places to get oil. We drilled in all the easy places. So mm-hmm. we, people are looking, you know, they're doing, that's why we're doing the gunky tar sands. That's why people are drilling in the Arctic and the deep, deep offshore. So ExxonMobil's future of reserves wasn't that great. They struck a deal with Putin's Russia, with, with um, Rusneft, which is uh, the, the Russian state-owned um, uh, oil and gas uh, company, oil company yeah. which is one of the only ones in, you know, bigger than ExxonMobil. And, and it's one that Putin has used his power to, to consolidate inside of Russia. This was a deal... Uh, that was uh, valued at ultimately $500 billion, a deal that would give a future uh, uh, stream of, of oil uh, and gas to ExxonMobil, and that obviously would, rep- would, would give desperately needed hard currency to, to Russia itself. Mm-hmm. That deal was stopped by the sanctions that Obama put in place and then the ones that were negotiated with the other countries. Why is the um, why is the deal most uh, troubling to you just as far as global warming goes with all of those other facts I was reading? I mean, is is it just the fact that th- this deal is so big that because it's going to open up so much of the world's uh, oil reserves now to be burnt? Is is that the the greatest well, it's, concern? It's worrisome on two grounds. One is just geopolitically, the intelligence community says that that Vladimir Putin and the Russians interfered in this election by hacking uh, uh, the the Democratic National Committee and other websites, naming a guy who has a $500 billion conflict of interest and uh, is presumably there to help end the sanctions, which is to say a $500 billion quid pro quo for attempting and possibly successfully influencing the outcome of the U.S. election is, is it's just so outrageous. Um, you know, but Tillerson himself, uh, you know, if we didn't live in this topsy-turvy world where Donald Trump was president and he's naming people to run agencies who, who are anti-everything the agency stands for, it would be ridiculous. Secretary of State is one of the most important, maybe the most important cabinet position there is. Historically, it goes to someone who really understands uh, diplomacy and, and many aspects of international policy. Tillerson, from the age of 23, once he graduated college, worked for ExxonMobil. It's his whole life dedicated to ExxonMobil, rising ultimately to the CEO. He has literally no qualifications other than the fact that he has negotiated oil deals around the world. But that just means, rather than a qualification, that he has conflicts of interest with every single country that ExxonMobil has a deal with uh, or would like to have a deal with. So it's, you know, now we get to climate change, right? So now the mo- from, from the point of view of the future of your children, my children, and humanity, the most important thing is the Paris Climate Accord. Uh, where 200 nations of the world a year ago got together and finally, unanimously, agreed to take the, the, the measures needed to start cutting carbon pollution and, and, and avoid catastrophic climate change. And, and virtually all those countries put forward serious carbon reduction plans. The United States did, um, China did, and, and Brazil, and you name it, mm-hmm. Mexico, Indonesia, all of Europe, Canada, etc. So this was 
literally the world's last best chance to avoid catastrophic climate change. You know, now Trump campaigned on saying he was going to do away with it. Um, well, he would, that he believed, yeah, well, he believed that climate change was a hoax created by and for the Chinese. Yep. And he was going to do away with that uh, Paris climate agreement. Um, is, and got so, the yeah. clean power plan, the EPA clean yep. power plan, which is, was, would be essential for us to meet the first round of targets. And the yet, point of Paris is right. You have to every the nations of the world have to keep negotiating down their targets because ultimately the world has to go to zero in the second half of the century. And if you're going to avoid catastrophe, you're going to need continuous negotiations to get and continuous deployment of more and more clean energy. That was the road that that the Obama administration uh, uh, and Paris put us on track. Now, if you put in charge of State Department, i.e. all foreign negotiations, a guy who is not only doesn't know anything but oil, but whose company historically has been the biggest funder of climate science disinformation, and as we learned just in the last year, a company whose own scientists figured out in the 60s and 70s mm-hmm. that climate science was real and that burning fossil fuels was actually a danger, but instead of doing the moral thing and saying, hey, this is a big problem the world should try to solve, it, it said, hey, we're going to fund think tanks to launch a you know, tobacco-style mm-hmm. disinformation campaign, which it has continued to this day, even after promising not to. And this is the guy... Uh, who is now going to be in charge of all negotiations with every country on all matters related to climate and everything else? Yeah, but but other than that, uh, Mrs. Lincoln, how is the play? <laughs> Joe Rome, I've got just a minute or two left here very quickly. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, I think I know the answer. Uh, Oklahoma Attorney General uh, uh, Scott Pruitt has been named as the uh, head of the EPA. Uh, how much sway over climate issues? Uh, and, and he's a guy who has uh, been a longtime climate science denier. He's an enemy of the EPA, has been suing them for years. How much sway over climate issues does the head of the EPA actually have when it comes to the nation's environmental laws and regulations? In other words, aren't there certain things that the EPA must do no matter who it is that heads up the EPA and, and they can be sued by the ACLU or you and me if they don't follow those laws? Uh, no question about that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would say outside of the White House, uh, the, the head of the EPA has the most uh, uh, influence on domestic climate policy, uh, and it, it certainly matters that you've named a climate science denier who, who you know, has made a living suing uh, or trying to avoid meeting EPA regulations. Um, you are certainly correct. There are going to be a great many lawsuits filed by the Natural Resources Defense Council and the Environmental Defense Fund and others to, to force the laws that Congress has passed to become enforced. Um, you know, I would just say two things, one of which is there's no question that, that it, you know, it, when you put the fox in charge of the hen house, it, you know, you can try to enforce the laws of not eating hens, but it gets a lot harder. Um, and, of course, remember, the Republicans managed to steal the, fu- the fifth seat on the Supreme Court by refusing to yes, they did. Uh, even even uh, examine, talk to mm-hmm. uh, Obama's choice. So there is the opportunity for uh, President Trump and the Republican Party to stack 
the courts, because that's all, all those lawsuits get decided in courts. Yep, that's true. All right, last, uh, I think, last question here, and, and I'm afraid of, of the answer, but do you see any signs of optimism in any of this as we move forward and or let me add uh, maybe there's something what can Americans do at this point to try and help the battle for action against uh, uh, climate warming in the months and years ahead as you uh, as you see it Joe Rome well they can certainly come to climate progress and and I've you know been trying to do my best to keep on top of this as has my team, mm-hmm. and I've ri- I actually wrote a post, Nine Things you know, Progressives Can Do. Uh, I think that the, the top priority is to beat, to, to defeat uh, Tillerson. I think the, the choice of the Exxon CEO was, was so unbelievably brazen that there, it, he is beatable. There are people like John McCain and Lindsey Graham and Marco Rubio who have expressed concern that a guy who is basically financially in bed whose future depends on the Soviet Union, or his company's future does, and who won the, you know, the greatest honor that, that a non-Russian can be awarded by Putin for this very deal, that, that it's just wildly inappropriate for him to be uh, running foreign policy. So he's beatable, and I would urge people to, to get involved in an effort to beat him, to call their senator and, and to find you know, local environmental groups who are going to fight it. And the good news is the environmental community, the environmental movement is the biggest movement in the country, but it's, it's, it, it slumbers until it gets poked severely by President Reagan or George W. Bush. We clearly are going to have to make a stand because, uh, uh, you know, it is, it is literally the fate of the next thousand years, the irreversible nature of climate change that will be decided uh, in the course of Trump's administration. And that's all. Just the fate of the next thousand years. Other than that, nothing to worry about. Uh, it, by the way, just for clarity, uh, Tillerson, uh, you said he was in bed with the Soviet Union. Just for clarity, yeah, Russia. Uh, Russia, actually. Uh, whether he's in bed or not, I'll leave it to you. But I know it's Russia, not the Soviet Union. Uh, Joe Rome, uh, thank you very much, as ever, for your time. Joe Rome, uh, formerly of the uh, U.S. Department of Energy, now of climateprogress.org. Uh, check out his work and uh, his team there. It's uh, really important every day. Dr. Joe Rome, always great talking to you, my friend. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right, a quick break, and we're back with more broadcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Given the outcome of the 2016 election, we really need your support now more than ever. Progressive media outlets have been under attack for years, even during supposedly progressive administrations. We are now facing a whole new world and real alternatives to the mainstream corporate media. You know, the folks who got it all wrong from the jump must be able to continue the fight for all of us. This is not a drill. It never was. Please consider a donation to our work here on the Bradcast by stopping by bradblog.com donate to help out however you can. A monthly pledge is greatly appreciated, but anything you can share will keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you.
wish you hadn't said that thing about it's only the uh, fate of the next thousand <laughs> years we have to worry about. Yeah. Uh, and we do worry about that uh, in our latest Green News Report. He's much more than a business executive. I mean, he's a world-class player. Donald Trump picks ExxonMobil CEO for Secretary of State. She has a record of wanting to drill for more gas and oil and wanting to cut more timber from our public lands. Potential Interior Department head wants to sell off public lands. Trump transition team's chilling request for names of Energy Department scientists working on climate policy. Plus, federal aid for Flint, Michigan, finally clears the U.S. Senate. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Welcome to the Trump administration. Where climate change is fake and wrestling is real. I wish I had a good joke here. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, ironically enough, of all of the climate deniers that Donald Trump appears to be putting into his cabinet, the one who isn't a climate denier is actually the Head of ExxonMobil. I know. Weird, isn't it? Yep. Yep. Donald Trump has picked Rex Tillerson, the CEO of ExxonMobil, the world's largest oil company, for his secretary of state. Tillerson has close ties to Russian President Vladimir Putin, receiving Russia's order of friendship in 2013 after ExxonMobil signed a $300 billion deal to drill for oil in Russia's Arctic. That deal has been on hold due to U.S. economic sanctions against Russia, which are still in place for now. Exxon is also under investigation for spending millions of dollars over decades lying to its shareholders and the public about its own scientific research confirming man-made climate change. Tillerson and Exxon now publicly profess to accept climate science, but in a 2012 interview with the Council on Foreign Relations, Tillerson dismissed the impacts. We believe those consequences are manageable. Okay, so we will adapt to this. Changes to weather patterns that move crop production areas around, we'll adapt to that. It's an engineering problem, and it has engineering solutions. Exxon has blocked all action on climate change in practice, pretty much anything to keep the world addicted to Exxon's product. So he agrees that climate change is real. He agrees that it is changing our climate. But he says no need to worry. We'll, we'll just adapt to it. Pretty much. Important thing is we keep burning his product. Exactly. Trump will also reportedly nominate Representative Kathy McMorris-Rogers of Washington State to head up the Interior Department, which manages the nation's public lands, national parks, and natural resources. McMorris-Rogers follows the Republican Party line of denying climate science, advocates for the sale of public lands, and increased drilling, timber harvesting, and other resource extraction. She has a 4% lifetime voting record from the League of Conservation Voters. Senate Democrats have 
have vowed to fight these appointments. Yeah, good luck with that, Senate Democrats. Meanwhile, the Trump transition team has sent a disturbing and unusually detailed questionnaire to the Department of Energy, seeking the names of all scientists and career civil servants who attended U.N. climate talks and worked on climate change initiatives. That's raising concerns that the Trump team is gathering information for people and programs to target for elimination or retaliation. Trump's team also requested information on scientific data sets, websites, and detailed funding of the agency's research on renewable energy innovation. I got to tell you, that data point is absolutely chilling, McCarthy-esque, and probably even more disturbing than all of these climate deniers in his cabinet. American scientists are suggesting to their colleagues that they set up duplicate mirror sites for research databases in other countries. All of this comes just days after a Trump transition advisor, Bob Walker, claimed that the new Trump administration will eliminate NASA's climate change research funding mm. because he said climate science research has become so politicized. Oh, do you think? I wonder who did that. Finally, some good news. The Obama Interior Department has banned mountaintop removal coal mining along the tops of 600 miles of mountain ridges across four counties in eastern Tennessee. Good news for now, anyway. In more good news, in last-minute votes before adjourning for the holidays, the Republican majority in Congress finally allowed passage of a water infrastructure bill that includes funding to help the city of Flint, Michigan, replace its lead-contaminated water system three years into the crisis. Senate Republicans also finally agreed to fund health benefits for retired coal miners for another four months. Only four months. They, right. they refused what Democrats had wanted to extend those benefits to coal miners for another year. Why do the Republicans hate coal miners? Well, GOP war on coal, I guess. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Well, I'm working in a coal mine going down. Desi Doyen, just uh, one little uh, additional piece of good news. Kath- Catherine, Kathleen. Kathy McMorris Rogers. Will not be the Interior Department. She was floated yesterday, but as we're going to air here, breaking news, we now actually have a nominee. Yeah, there seems to be confirmation now that Representative Ryan Zink of Montana will be the uh, Trump's pick for the Interior Secretary. Mixed bag from what I can tell so far on his record very quickly, but I look forward to looking into seeing what he's going to bring to the Trump administration. And we will bring you that in our next thrilling episode. Until then, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Dr. Joe Rome of Climate Progress, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it at bradblog.com for free. Please help spread the word about the Bradcast. Uh, You can do so over at iTunes or your favorite podcast site or on the Facebooks and the Twitters where you can find me at the Brad Blog. You can also drop me email if you like. I'm Bradcast at Bradblog.com. There it is. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs>